Coming up, Chris Bergash joins Ileana in just a minute. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, it's the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast, starring Ileana Douglas. Eavesdrop with Ileana as she interviews Hollywood's most prominent players about filmmaking, acting, and what really happens on the set of your favorite flicks and TV shows. Hi, everyone. I'm Ileana Douglas. Welcome to the I Blame Dennis Hopper podcast. We're raring to go. <laughs> I'm welcoming the giggly Tamara Berg, Hi everybody. my lovely co-host. Hello. So nice to see you post-Valentine's. Nice Did you have yeah. a nice Valentine's? Oh, yeah. You went out. I, I got invited to a party. I didn't, I didn't go. I stayed. I did go to a party. I, as a rule, Olympics. don't celebrate Valentine's Day because yeah. the one time I did in college, you know, oh. went out for a romantic dinner with the boyfriend <sighs> and we were six inches from other romantic couples on either side and it yeah. was incredibly loud and the service was terrible and it was one of the worst Valentine's Day I've ever had. <laughs> Valentine's <laughs> days I've ever had. So I definitely was like, no, never celebrating that again. Um, yeah, so I had like I one really good one, I think in 2013. Oh. That was about the last, nice. it was about the last good one yesterday. I was think, it like a dinner thing, or yeah, it was or, dinner. Mm-hmm. I got invited to a fancy, oh, yeah, fancy French restaurant, got flowers and the whole bit. Oh, I went to a pizza party last night, is what I did. Well, that sounds fun, yeah, it actually I, um, was really fun. It was absolutely not romantic, but I did love most of the people who were there. I hope it's not going to be like New Year's though, where. I just thought, oh, is it going to be a party? Everyone's going to be kissing, and then, you know. No. I'm going to be talking about my squirrels and my. (laughs) (laughs) Although your squirrels. If anybody wants to know, you are doing it on Instagram, aren't you? Uh, yes, yeah. yes. Fred and, Fred and Ginger on Instagram. Fred took raisins to out of my hand this morning. Ooh. I didn't video it because I didn't want to exploit him uh, yet until he was fully. But he trained. Had, yeah, but he took raisins, golden raisins. If anyone's mm-hmm. interested, um, pretty soon he'll be <laughs> driving with me to Trader Joe's. Sure. To uh, get his raisins and, and sunflower seeds. I Speaking need to- of golden raisins, just really quick, my yeah. mom has problems with her joints in her hands. So she's, she has a container of golden raisins that she soaks in gin and every Ooh. day eats a raisin or two and goes, I swear it makes my joints so much better. Wow. Okay, mom. All right. That's a good one. I never yeah. thought of that. There I you go. I never thought I of that. I wonder what Fred will think of gin-soaked raisins. I know. I don't want to make a drunken squirrel Mm -hmm. yet. Um, So uh, Chris uh, Bergash is on the show today, who I met at a screening of The Florida Project. I'm a huge fan of this film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, Chris Tangerine, which is the film they did before, which really put them on the map of kind of an iPhone uh, movie. Right. But The Florida Project, really almost like uh, we were talking about overnight successes of being... An overnight success, and even someone like Will, Willem Dafoe has been around for so long, and it's—I'm so thrilled that he's getting yeah. an Oscar nomination. Amazing! But it's—I uh, want to talk to him about what it feels like about to be a just all of a sudden, right? Yeah, and it's—I mean, overnight success is a bit is ridiculous because, of course, it, there's always a body of work that leads right. up to that. But it's that sudden success or. Um, um, you know, sudden moment in the spotlight. Yes. I, I imagine it can be incredibly jarring. I look forward to knowing what it feels like. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is had, jarring. Yeah, you've had that. You talked about it a little bit once, but I want to hear more. I did. I wrote about it in my book is that I was doing stand-up comedy. I thought I was going to be a comedian. I was mm-hmm. doing stand-up comedy, and I was in a sketch comedy group yeah. called the Manhattan Punchline. And then I met uh, Martin Scorsese, and I got cast in Cape Fear, and suddenly I was like a dramatic actress. But this guy named Hank Gallo knew me from the comedy world. He'd seen me do stand-up. So I'm not, I mean, I didn't even have a publicist. I barely had an agent. But I was in Cape Fear, and, and David Letterman saw Cape Fear, and he really was a fan of the film. And then Hank Gallo said, oh, I know her. She's really funny. She's a good comedian. So it was like lickety split. I was suddenly talking to this guy named Frank Gannon, who was then the show uh, producer, one of, I, 
think, one of the show producers. But I was on the phone with him for about four hours, basically, auditioning for whether wow. or not I was going to be on right. Letterman. Right. And I had a funny story about this, because when I was doing stand-up, I won a, uh, a, a contest about like you know being being funny and the guy said that if i won the contest i could get to be on letterman and i won the contest and i was like when do i get to be on letterman and he said oh no you misunderstood me i meant you know someday you work really hard you're good enough that someday you'll be on letterman so that was of course one of the stories they wanted me to tell they they told me another i had another story because i had met president bush because i was doing a play at the uh at ford's theater etc and so I was I did the show which was incredibly stressful but literally and oh right before I did the show because I had done Cape Fear whatever it was a few months before but I had no money and I was selling furniture out of my apartment yeah your own furniture not you were a salesperson at a furniture store you were selling your own furniture I was always like yeah that was always my go-to because I always had antiques or you know would rummage New York finding things on, Find the, street, things on the street yeah. and then reselling them sure. but I distinctly remember a guy and I remember saying to him I'm going to be on the David Letterman show and I signed the bottom of the table and I think I even wrote something like I'm going to be famous but I was on the Letterman show and then literally overnight it was like you know you walk down you know I walked down the street and people knew me and knew my name and it was intense and I went out to LA not long after that and I was a big fan of Seinfeld and I remember being in Hollywood and like signing up for one of these things like to be in the audience oh sure at Seinfeld and it was the same thing like they all of a sudden I got worried like I was at the show they were like Jerry Seinfeld wants to meet you. Why are you sitting in the audience? Sitting in the audience. So then, like, I had a meeting. So I've still never really adjusted to being famous. I know that about you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I still, I, if somebody's looking at me, I think it's because I probably have like food on me or yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. I, I regularly try and tell you, pull the star card, lady. Do it. Tell people who you are. <laughs> they always recognize my voice. That's oh, I'm a, sure. That's I could be somewhere like, you know, Ross or, or Marshall's <laughs> hiding in the back, getting candles mm-hmm. or cookware. Mm-hmm. That's my cookware. Or nice sheets. They have good sheets there. Too. Really? I don't do sheets. I do the yeah. cookware. Uh, and I do the candles. You can often find me there. Uh, and and somebody's like, I thought that was you because I heard your voice. So means I, you know, my shoplifting days are over. They are because you'll get recognized. Um, but anyway, let's that's yeah. Let's bring in Chris because he's going to have much more to say about being a successful writer and a producer of a film that I love, The Florida Project. We're focusing on so many. Uh, we had Stephen Rogers, who wrote I, Tanya, and now uh, Chris Bergash is the writer-producer of the film Starlet, Tangerine, and The Florida Project, up for an Academy Award, also been nominated for an Independent Spirit Award. Come right in here. Please welcome Chris, Chris Bergash. Uh, yeah. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm very well. I always wear the headphones because I like to oh. feel like I'm in, you know, 1975. But it just I, They look great. But you I, don't, yeah, you don't have I, to. I could hear I you just li- I like if hearing. you can hear me. I just like hearing myself. I was just checking it. out your Twitter while oh, I was what, waiting. What did it? I liked a couple of tweets. Oh, you did? Yeah, the Lillian did Disney, any... Disney's wife. With did the you know of that? Oh, of course. Yeah, the train oh. ride, famous train ride. And... You know why I knew that? Because I was doing research about you oh, no way. for Disney. I know, you know you're a big Disney fan and, of course, the tide of Florida Project and all of that. Which a lot of people don't seem to connect with, and that's okay. But it's, really? it kind of gives people something to find out when they Google later on. Conne- yeah, the all the little hidden treasures uh, of the movie, which, of course, we're going to get to. Okay, but I have to ask you, and you're from New Jersey. Yeah, we have. Do, do you remember the, you know that, it, do you know that I've never met someone from New Jersey that wasn't, like, really fun and personable? Is that, okay. That's just bad, my own Ileana. This is, like, northern New Jersey, so not, I think people land at Newark Airport when they, and that's all they know about New Jersey, right? And uh-huh. it's kind of not so aesthetically pleasing. I just uh, have like an odd, that's just an odd, like I'll meet someone and I 
think they're funny or nice. And I go, where are you from? And they always, they oh, always yeah. and, uh, invariably they say New Jersey or Philadelphia is another one. Oh, really? Okay. I've met, yeah. I have rarely met an unpleasant That's person. Good to know. And nothing against the nice, fine people of Newark, uh, New Jersey. Just, uh, you there's, know. Yeah, it's, it's there's not, other good states. It's not, yeah. Rhode but, uh, Island's another pretty good state. I've never even been. To Rhode Island? To Rhode Island? Of course. Okay. I'm in I'm in Connecticut, so we're oh. all we're all jammed up okay. on the East Coast. Yeah, the tri-state fun. Um, so I want to ask you my of course my favorite question. So growing up in New Jersey, do you remember the first movie you saw? I do. Who took and you it's to kind see of it? fitting what we were just talking about. Yeah. It was the first uh, feature length animated film, you know, Snow White and the Seven Doors. Uh, my mom took me and I was four. Uh -huh. And this was in Middle Village, New York, because I was born in New York City. Uh huh. And we lived in Queens until I was five. So oh. that's the I I'm pretty sure that was the first. Uh, there's no other memories before that one. Yeah, that's a good one. My parents were hippies, so they were anti-Disney. They were. Yeah. Okay. Pretty. I mean, you know, they we just, could we could see like Robert Altman and nudity that's amazing, and though. how cool is that? It's, not, <laughs> it's that, cool now. When you're when you're little, and you're like, I want to see. Yeah, my, I had to always sneak to the adult films with other friends. My parents didn't take us to anything, even if it was like. Like, there was nothing wrong with Blade Runner, but because it was rated R, I wasn't allowed to see it when I was, you know. My parents were, like, very artsy, so it, it like, they would take us to see, you know, Amarokord and things like that. And if you didn't understand it or, you know, but that's it was your your fault. Made Ileana Douglas, Ileana Douglas, I think, you know, yes. in your formative years watching movies like that. That's... Yes, my parents were wrong, but I love them for it <laughs> because their whole theory, they were both teachers and and uh, they they always thought that like every that, you know, that people were going to be, you know, they uh, thought that everyone was going to be a lot uh, smarter than than okay. me is what they always so they said it was important to have a wide range and of course then what happens is now people think I'm arrogant. They do. Oh, <laughs> that's what always happens. Okay. I st if I start referencing, you know, an artist or, I think it depends on who you hang out with. A lot yeah. of people would think that's cool, right? Like, they? Yeah, I mean, no, just shut up. I wish I I have my memory is going. So like it is. I always used to be able to drop references like that a lot uh. quicker than I can now. It's just the hard drive's full. That's, that's <laughs> exploding. I remember everything. It's a burden, but oh. uh, but that's but when I do my. Uh, so were there filmmakers that you admired? That, oh, because yeah. your movies certainly definitely have yeah. a certain style. What I love about them is that they have that little bit of. I don't know if Mike Lee is the right. Big influence on Sean Baker. Yeah, except uh, that they have a, beaut a beautiful aesthetic, which yeah. I love. You know, um, I love oh, I thanks. love beauty in films. We do too. We're cinephiles, and you know, you, you'll watch a lot of good movies. But I could never sort of get over the fact that a lot of movies seem just like shot very flat. Yeah, you know, and you wonder why. I mean, who's who's not saying something to the cinematographer or whatever that needs to be said? Right. That just because it's kitchen sink, yeah. it doesn't mean like it has to look. You know, grainy or or I mean, ugly unless that's the look they're going for. You know, but like with a film like Starlet, we had pretty much no money. It was a yeah, two hundred fifty. Which you just gave me. I'm oh. gonna go home and see it. I... Yeah, because they just took it off Netflix, so it's oh. hard to tell people you can watch it there. And um, yeah. February first, it left us, but it'll come back. Okay. But you know, we got these vintage Sean and Radium Chung who shot the film, Mad yeah. Genius, tracked down these like vintage, rare, like Russian Lomo lenses, uh -huh. and like strapped it on a digital camera, and at least it gives it a little bit of a more cinematic. You know, yeah. Have the budget to shoot film on that one, and there's you know cool experiments to be conducted. So when you were, how did you guys meet? Did you meet in film? You met at yeah, NYU. We did. We both went to Tisch. Mm -hmm. um, we were both kind of living. He's from New Jersey as well, mm -hmm. more central. So I already like him. <laughs> <laughs> and we were both having sort of a parallel existence where we were both making movies with our friends ever since we were around nine. Mm -hmm. And it's such a cliche because you hear all these guys like talk about you know who inspired you. So for me, it's the same Spielberg and. Lucas and you know just the Indiana Jones movies Back to the Future mm -hmm. and so those are the types of movies I made with my friends and and Sean always talks about wanting to direct the next Die Hard and that rocked his world that's and, funny and then you know we went to NYU and there was some sensibility shifting but I also think that while he went a little bit more with European uh, filmmaking sensibilities right I still stayed a little you know more Hollywood and that's uh -huh. where I think our we kind of clash and explode and create something that neither one of us would make on our own well that's what's uh, any good partnership you know what is if he adds something and then you add something but it, it, having the same film language is so important i think as a writer producer 
yeah. you know, when you're working with a director. A lot of times, though, when we're in the writing phase, we'll just re regress back to, you know, 18-year-old Chris and Sean fighting about, like, what do you mean you <laughs> like that movie? I can't work with you anymore. And But then, you know, we come around and just take a break. It's time for a break. Um, so the other thing that's interesting about your growing up is you spent, you did spend time in Florida uh in in your childhood and then that that was the whole seeds of the florida project so yeah i guess unlike your parents my my parents took me to disney world uh i know that's a, i had years. well no i had neighbor i wasn't <laughs> I, I remember i did have normal neighbors okay. so i did get to go i don't i think it's cool I, your parents sound a lot cooler than most parents listen my father was anti Dan Rather. Okay, like you couldn't so, watch anything. Yeah. Anything that was establishment okay. is not. It's okay. not good I in the socialist household. I understand that we were, but but, uh, but yeah, I sneak. I, I got to go to Disneyland with our with friends. Oh, okay. I remember Fun. taking the train down. Oh my god! Wait, from Connecticut to yes. to, to Orlando? Yes. Oh wow! It was and Bush, and we went to Bush Gardens, and then the uh, her older sister, like who was like kind of you know rough and ready she like put us in one of those motels and oh really went off with a guy that that drove monster trucks perfect so it's, they all drive them down and yeah <laughs> again it was like we kept that part hidden oh wow know. did you ever think i have to ask though you know where i'm going with this did you ever think back then that you would be part of it and no. you're part of the magic people no. are every right now people are in the queue Looking at you. No, I know. I was. I was so thrilled. I couldn't even believe that they. I think I was. I don't even know how they found me, except okay. that I was work. I was doing the Drew Carey show, okay. which was a Disney show, mm -hmm. and they had asked Drew. I think he did Pinocchio. He did something called Sounds Dangerous with Drew Carey, which is about sound design. That's, yeah, it's not there anymore. But I can't imagine. I like got this call from Disney. Oh, wow. I was like, yes. Aeros, uh, uh, being an aerospace yeah. manager. Yeah. Yes. And we went, the only thing that was hard was the filming was hysterical. I can't even imagine. Because Aerosmith couldn't get put two words together oh, wow. without the other one, like, screwing up. And then somebody would laugh. Perfect. And so, it comes kind of across. I mean, is, uh, and Ken Marino. Was, yes, uh, in Ken there. Marino. Thomas went blind because they had to put these because it was 130 degrees in order to shoot that. Okay. So they made him wear these special glasses. And I knew Ken from my comedy days. Yeah, he was the, in the uh, Valley of the Dolls. Oh, wow, wow, wow! In this live show. All right, enough we, of me. No, that's just incredible. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's just. So but the hard part was we had to actually do the ride. Shooting the thing was one thing, but we had to go back like and actually ride the ride. And I was it's yeah, but you're part sick. of a pretty good ride. I mean, it's not just like some cheesy ride. That's yeah, gonna, make it happen. Now, is there any truth to the? Can I just ask one more question? Oh, please do it. You know about the rumors, right? With the oh whole God. the gesture. I forget the name of the gesture. What? I love the, it. Go ahead. There's a secret. There's a whole. You can Google this right now about uh, what Stephen is uh, doing in that. Okay. And it's it's very. I don't know, it's it's, it's something. It's called something, but it, he's doing something with his fingers. Yes. As a secret code, gesturing I, to something that's a okay. That not a Disney act. That is funny. That I don't know about. I, but no one knows if it's actually, it's never been confirmed. I think he's denied it. I don't remember him like pulling me aside okay. and saying anything that was, okay. you know. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, thought I remember the one the thing, I, the other thing I remember about them that, you know, because of course they couldn't, they were like, we'll ask our, and I was like, manager, <laughs> manager, it's right here. <laughs> I'm your manager. Yeah. Like, so we just, it was 130 degrees, and I was worried that Ken was going to lose his eyesight. Oh, wow. Because, wow. as I said, he had to have these special. Incredible. You're the reason why we have to get on the coaster and rush to the forum. You have to. You. you have to. I, I make it happen. <laughs> make My. it happen. And now whenever I see a concert at the forum here, we always yeah. go, to the forum, and we're dorks. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> But I loved working with Disney. They were really, they were, they were very sweet. And they, oh my God, they gave us. Did you get the secret tour of Disney where you go underground? I've done it, and it kind of. I don't like it because you see Tigger the way you don't want to see Tigger, yeah. like with his head off, and it yeah. scars your your. I don't Tigger's Tigger for me. And yeah, keep the magic. So just so people know, there is a complete underground city. Yeah, Utilidors. Yeah, Tigger's best friend. That's what they call them, the best friends. And they've got codes for like when. People get sick and things oh, yeah, like that. Yeah, and, and they 
to tell us about like certain smells that they pump in. Oh yeah, wow, <laughs> so it works because whenever you enter Main Street, you want to eat. Yeah. Oh eat. yeah, something Everything. fried, preferably. Yeah. It's yes. a it's a beautiful world. Okay, we're we're getting way way off track. So let's go back okay. to you. Were, you're going up and down there, seeing all these hotels. Yes. Um, for people who have not seen the Florida Project, yes. uh, first it, of all, shame on you. Oh, right. Well, you know, we we're a small movie. It's a beautiful so, film. It's one it's, of my favorite films of the thank of you. the year. I've, thank you. I've pr- tried to promote it, talk oh, about it a lot, and stuff because it's such a beautiful film. And such an uplifting film. And that's actually really, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you, because, you know, it's still, it's not a Marvel movie, and so it's not on every bus stop and, you know, billboard. And so it it does take word of mouth like that for people to even hear about it. And so many people still haven't. I talk to, and, you know, they, there's, because there's no advertising, and if they're not on social media and whatnot. It's such um, a shame. People really need to see it, because it really, and I enjoyed it more the second time I saw it. Oh, wow. Cool. And I loved it the first time. And I, that's why I told you when I saw it the second time, I liked it even more. Uh, Willem, Willem, first of all, the performance is unbelievable. We're so lucky to have Camera Willem. work. It's just the whole sense of place. But it's about people who live in these uh, motels, mm. uh, hotels that are on the outskirts, uh, right outside the Magic Kingdom of right. Disney World. So the whole eight, the whole world is, is so wonderfully realized. And you found the hotel. You saw these. So, so yeah, that's how it all started. You know, because I even though I was going since I was four, like you mentioned with my family, my mom actually relocated from New Jersey down there in around two thousand five. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until then when I would go visit her, she lived about a half hour away, and I'd have to go back and find borrow her car and go to the parks <laughs> and uh, go on that route one ninety two. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started noticing all these kids, and they, you know, I didn't think anything of it at first. But then back and forth so many times, you see them at one motel and another motel, and they're certainly not tourists. You know, they don't have the Disney bags and the Mm -hmm. Disney, you know, shirts. So um, I started doing some Google searching, and the first thing that came up was San Bernardino. I saw that's when the issue of what they call the hidden homeless Mm -hmm. first came to my attention. And so I'm like, wow, it's not just here. This is, you know, families living in hotels right there in in Anaheim as well. Mm -hmm. And then there was just something that really stuck with me about – it happening right in the shadow of Cinderella Castle. Right. But, but yet, what intrigued me was that they were making their own magic, just like we did as kids. Just like yeah. they were playing hide and seek on the side of the road and playing wiffle ball. And so I immediately called Sean, and I was like, I think we finally have, because he's always wanted to do a movie. We both have always wanted to do a movie with kids, and we just mm-hmm. never found the right idea. Mm-hmm. And he loves the Little Rascals. And so this really <laughs> lent itself to being like a modern Little Rascals. Yeah. In a way. Um, um, and... In terms of the film, the casting of the young girl, mm-hmm. you had you found a a local uh, yes. girl. I mean, like, how yeah. do you cast for it, a six so year old Brooklyn Prince? Uh, America crazy came through at the last minute too, because we we had so many kids come in, you know, kids that were in the system. Yeah, we worked with a, a crowd shot uh, casting, local casting down there, and they had we were casting in the motels mm-hmm. in some convention space. And then we were just recruit, like Sean found Valeria who plays Jancy in a, in the local target with her mom. And so we were casting in all the ways you can cast and just seeing as many kids as we could because we w- were never getting the right combination because we gave them sides and they can do that. Right. And some of them were even quite good, you know, with the readings, but then some were thrown for a loop with the improv part of it. And right. just like, okay, we, we created these scenarios for them. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there was this one that we always would do where it's like, okay, there's some 12-year-olds in the pool, but that's your pool. Kick them out. <laughs> and, and sometimes they just didn't know what to do. And right. So uh, we were going to delay production because we couldn't find our Mooney. And then uh, a month before, Brooklyn came in and just, like, she had – it would it was amazing because wow. she just was cracking us up. And there's oftentimes, you know, they're dealing with very mature – I don't want to give too much away oh, – yeah. But in one particular instance, the you know, which is very funny and so well handled, of the older woman who wants to be topless by the pool. Oh yeah, <laughs> Sandy Kane, who's uh, known and as the naked cowgirl. If you ever go to Times Square, she's there singing naked. She's just such. <laughs> what I love about the movie again, there's so many things I love, but it's effortless. It's oh, just an thanks. effortless film. 
You know, like, yeah, that's you see people like that all the time. Like, you totally believe that she lives in that place, yeah. that that's what she does. But again, working with the kids, their parents didn't have any issues with that. And the kids are effortless. Yeah. That's how kids would react to a situation like that. They would just laugh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was great. Their parents are all such great, you know, great collaborators on the film. And, you know, we did have concerns, you know, especially uh, if some of the families were a little more religious, you know, we were like, is this going to be an issue? And, you know, they taught them that, you know, this is their character and their character could say these words. But that doesn't mean Brooklyn. Mooney can say, you know, an F word, but Brooklyn cannot. And they understood that. Oh, that's I don't know how you got them to believe. uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess because they're right at the cusp of. There's, you know, Brooklyn was six when we shot, and Valerio was five. Christopher Rivera, who plays Scooty, was seven. He was the oldest. And, it's uh, absolutely crazy. Um, that was the only issue that we faced. Sometimes the boys and the girls didn't quite get clicked that well behind uh-huh. the scenes at that age. Yeah. So there was some separation needed at certain times. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and what about the casting of uh, Willem Dafoe? Willem was also really late in the game. We mm-hmm. wrote this role, and it was more of a... At one point, I remember it being more of like a, you know, tough uh, ex-vet kind of guy. And then um, we couldn't get some of the actors that we were talking to. And mm-hmm. Willem, through ICM, Sean's with ICM. And yeah. uh, he uh, was interested because he liked Tangerine, the previous film. Yeah. And uh, wanted to work with us and, uh, you know, loved the script. So we were really lucky at the last minute it just came together with him. And I, I Sean and I felt if we were going to get to work with Willem, yeah. Let's let's modify this role and morph it into something that we have never seen or that we would want to see from Willem. Right. And make him sort of a really likable, nice guy and a surrogate dad kind of guy. Yeah. So we, we did a rewrite, as we always do, uh, through production, mm-hmm. and combined two characters. We had a brother character of Bobby that kind of oh, interesting. gave him a little bit more de- depth by combining the two roles and stuff like that. Yeah, Willem Dafoe is so great in the film. Again, effortless, funny. There's some little... I, I guess taking care of some accidents with like birds wandering into the shot, yeah, which is an impromptu. Uh, he just seems like he's just enjoying it. Yeah, yeah it's great. He's amazing. Yeah, and, and you really talk cool. you talk about the idea of like this this being the surrogate dad, and isn't that? Yeah. Did you take advantage of some of these? Uh, you said this at the screening that I saw the kind of some of the tropes of Disney of. Oh, yeah. Not I mean, having parents. and Yeah, you know, when we, this idea goes back to 2011, when we were uh, writing Starlet, before we even shot Starlet, was mm-hmm. when I first started s- sending Sean, you know, some pictures of mm-hmm. various motels and just observations of all these amazing locations uh, that we were thinking about. So we always had this idea of a single mom, just another Disney trope. You always see the single parent. Right. And so it was always going to be a mom and her daughter living in a motel, trying to make their way. And we always had the ending. For some reason, we always knew it was going to be, and no spoilers, but just some sort of flight of fancy at the end. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, yeah. So Willem just kind of played into that with, uh, he, he was kind of, that was informed by a lot of the research we did and talking to the motel managers. There was one in particular named John Manning and he was a very big inspiration. And it seems like a lot of the people who work there may have gotten these jobs, and they just thought they were going to be motel managers, not becoming more when these families start moving in. And they're sort right. of like, you know. But yet they can't get too close because if they're not paying, they still have to, you know, do their job and evict them, which is a sad situation for them. What about this idea, too, which is so crazy, where they evict someone for oh yeah. 24 hours? Yeah. Like they have to... That's leave another reason. Room and then come back. Whenever like uh, film students ask me for the you know advice about the research because we talk a lot about yeah. you know this was two years of research and going mm-hmm. down there about a dozen times for like a week and just immersing ourselves with the people from that lifestyle mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that came out of that where it's like you hear about these families that have to leave for twenty four hours just so they don't establish residency and they have cameras you know because that was the first thing that Sean and I asked is why can't you just say you left and. Like they, they, you know, document everything and they have to show the pictures of the empty room. So we, we knew we had to work stuff like that in there. Mm-hmm. It just was like fascinating and terrible that they would have to do that and put all their stuff in storage. And by the way, most of the motels aren't that nice and wouldn't let them store their stuff there. They just have to take all their stuff and figure out what to do for a night with it and leave the property. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, you're trying to, when you're writing and you have all these index cards on the wall, when you're trying to, you know, fix the puzzle pieces, 
that was an amazing moment because oh now we can get to the sleepover that we wanted to do because they can have to sleep over you know so it all comes together right from the research and what are some of the things that didn't make it in i was reading because there's so many wonderful little location mm. things in florida yeah, yeah. which there are just so many oh man we had uh, a list of you know, I put together a list of 25 locations that you see, like Orange World is in there, which is a gift it's shop. It's great. That's amazing. And Wizard. Wizard World, yeah, the gift <laughs> shop, giant wizard. And uh, there were 25 of those. But you can't just put locations in or else the whole movie becomes a long, boring tour sequence. Right. And so we tried to keep the ones that sort of serve the story, even if it was so, so just subtle. You know, when Jancy takes her first steps, that's why it's by the wizard. Yeah. It's kind of like a, an Obi-Wan or, you know, Gandalf type of uh, homage, yeah. homage there. Um, but there were places like there was a theme park called Splendid China and it closed in 2003 and it was just mini. The Chinese government owned it, I think, and uh, <laughs> miniatures of landmarks like the Great Wall. But since 2003 to about 2015 and 16, it was just rotting away. Yeah. And so you'd go there. We, it's private property and they have all the signs, no trespassing. But we would sneak in, take the location pictures and it was amazing because it looked like a post-apocalyptic, you know, China, <laughs> miniature China. And um, we wanted a sequence where the kids would sneak in there. And instead of where the safari is right now, Mooney takes Jancy. And that's their theme park that they get to go to. And it's yeah. still just as magical as the other parks because mm-hmm. they're using their imagination. And then as soon as we started shooting, um, they leveled it because Jimmy Buffett is building a... What? The Jimmy Buffett Margaritaville condos oh, no. and senior citizen homes and such. <laughs> so Jimmy Mar- Doesn't he have enough? <laughs> oh, he ruined that sequence. Oh. But, but the safari sequence is, is very lovely uh, replacement. It's beautiful. I love the every little, I love the ice cream. I love the wide. So when you do the locations like that, again, I talk about the idea of it being mm-hmm. effortless and some of the camera work. Um, Alexis Zabe, who shot it. Genius. Just beautiful. It, a lot of it is... Um, is it natural lighting? Is it just daylight or how? It's a mix. I mean, you know, he definitely had his his uh, complicated uh, setups going on. But you a lot of, the, a lot of it is is natural, like when we're, you know, like yeah. a safari scene and stuff like that. And the uh, the building is purple. Is it was it just it's how it is. Yeah, it's incredible. You just did you just look out? Well, I actually like stayed there. So in, wonderfully purple. When I used to go to Disney World with my friends, we, you know unlimited budgets we would do like one night or two nights in an expensive disney resort mm-hmm. and then the, the other five nights <laughs> would be at a place like that because you know it's a lot you know that's how I, you save money and magic castle we stayed at in 1995 and so it never left my mind because it wow. was just, that's before you know my mom ever moved down there and stuff yeah. so uh so you know the whole idea of this movie is that they have their own magic and so we needed that it had to be that because she's living in her own castle so that's why, and they were great. They agreed to it. And Residents were there while you filmed. Yeah, yeah we couldn't disrupt anything and right. had to be really respectful. Um, but as long as we didn't get in the way, we can do our thing. And well, do people were. go there now? Is it on Trivago? Or if you, if you do the hashtag uh, Magic Castle, you'll see all these tourists are going there and staying there. And it, I think if I was the motel, they should. Room 323 is where they, they should. They should make it. Yes, some, charge should, more money or something. Yes. They should play Florida Project. Yeah, you know. All the time. Or take it one step further and put like an animatronic Sandy Kane by the pool without the top on and just make it an interactive. I would uh, do, yeah, I would do all of that. It sound, it seemed like such a, you know, a, a great uh, place. And then um, I don't want to give away again the ending, but it's the, fine. Just, I mean, it's just such an incredible <clears throat> ending. Um, and it's shot. You, you obviously had to steal it. Get to steal the shot. Yeah. It's Did you go back to your iPhone shooting? iPhone or? success. Yeah. We went I back mean, to work. I mean, how do you rehearse up. something like that? We didn't rehearse it. We just did it a few just times. Pray. <laughs> yeah. Works. And it's a miracle that I still can't believe that this movie, because we never really knew. Because if, if it doesn't work, right. you're in big trouble. The right. whole ending of the movie. Well, we had backups. I, I had done so oh, much okay. scouting. Okay. And we were going to try to fake it. And the closest we got is there's a town called Celebration that Disney actually used to own. They don't right. own it anymore. Right, right there near Kissimmee. And, um, and they have their own main street. And the bricks at a certain block is uh, mm-hmm. very similar to the bricks on Main Street in the Magic Kingdom. And so we were thinking about shooting it just with all close-ups mm-hmm. and throwing some, like, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse uh, ice cream bars on the ground and stuff like that to sort of, like, get the idea where they were going. Right. It just wasn't going to have the same effect. Yeah. And so we just went you know just gave it a shot and we weren't 
our attitude was we're not like this other movie that was sort of an anti-Disney thing that snuck into the parks. Right. We, we, we're not anti-Disney at all. And in fact, we're promoting ideas that Walt himself would like, which was imagination and, you know, family. So since we weren't doing anything... Yeah, it's a very uplifting ending. And we weren't really showing any of the characters either. We figured, no, I just meant that, you know, again, the technicality of you oh, have... Yeah. You have we've gone through the whole movie which is great and kind of realistic mm. and then it just yeah veers into this wonderful fantasy and that's also where the music kicks in yeah there's no score before that just yeah and so it's very, very visceral and very moving and it that's and great. it starts emotionally with um mooney brooklyn having this you know child i mean there's nothing more upsetting than watching it's her child. first vulnerable moment because she's always sort of in the yeah. leader yeah. in the film and and thank you for saying that even though you didn't if you didn't feel that way that's cool too it's so divisive the ending there are people on twitter hate the ending oh really and then there are people who just love oh. it and then there are people who debate you know whether or not if is is it a literal ending or is it more of a fantasy right. and we love that yeah that's so cool to me i'd rather have that happen than like you know maybe everybody love it or it's just makes for some cool you know, discussion. Chris, I have a question about that, about the shooting at Disney. So you didn't get permits to shoot there, but how how is it that you can still use the footage? You have to talk to the lawyers about that one. Uh, But we we got a lot of, uh, yeah, advice on that. Okay. Actually, some of the same lawyers that, you know, advised the other, the other gang. That was, I didn't, I'll just be open about that. I didn't like that film. It's called Escape from some tomorrow or something like that. Have you heard of that? They, I have not. They shot in the parks oh. with, with DSLRs. Oh, okay. But, you know, they clearly aren't coming from a magical perspective like we were trying to do. Right, right. So. Yeah. Uh, Talk to your attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, what I loved about it is I keep using the same word is that it's effortless. It's oh, just, wow. just, again, it has this smooth emotional, yeah. you know, uh, triumph, I think, you know. Thank you. Which is, I mean. It, and it lifts. I love things that kind of lift off and where everything is working, the music is working, the camera work is working. I yeah. mean, everything is like you're running. You, know, right. you feel lifted off, off the ground. So, Yeah, we worked hard on the score there. And, uh, you know, if you pay yeah, attention... Yeah, everything has to work. The you score know? is actually uh, Celebration, which you hear in the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. Cool and the Gang. It's just an orchestrated version of that. Oh, I didn't of, know that. Kind of subtle. Yeah. We didn't want to hit people over the head with it. And... Um, uh, yeah, no, you know, that was the intent, you know, for me, it's a, it's a great example, this whole movie about, even though it's a dream come true, definitely Sean and I, if we had, each of us had made this movie separately, it would have mm-hmm. been two other different films because, you know, my instincts are just that three act structure and this has got to happen by this page. And Sean was like, listen, for this one, I wanted to feel like you spent a summer with these characters. And so mm-hmm. I had to lay back and relax on my like, you know, programming of screenwriting for right. this movie. So it is a little blurred. And, and and he was right. It does feel great. Now it's you know some people think it should have been edited a little bit more, but you know like I said, we don't want to make movies for everybody. Yeah. And it's it's nice to hear. I disagree. I just I was just you know sometimes you watch movies. Uh, just to give you an example, of what I'm I watched uh, the killing of a sacred deer oh, the yeah. other night. Yeah. Did you like the movie? I actually do. I oh my it. god, I loved I, it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. But I started watching it and I was like. I was, you know, you have your phone mm-hmm. and your dog and you're distracted. And I was just like, all right, this is like, this is it's unfair right. yeah. to do this movie. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. And I went and I turned, I paused, I went myself, took, got a cup of tea. Okay. I went back. What uh, part did it, was it when you made that decision that, you know, like, okay, this needs to. Well, maybe when they had the open heart, okay. you know, okay. like the yeah. beating heart. Yeah. And I saw, you know, and I was just like. I'm not doing a service to this film right. and it needs all my attention. Oh my God. I feel like that's another example of a movie that should have got more awards attention. You know, it's, uh, yeah, there's performances a, are amazing. It's incredible. I mean, again, it's so that's, that's very much how I felt about your film. Oh. But when I watch the night and I don't read reviews, I'm just, that's mm-hmm. sort of how I am. I'm, I'm not really, I just like seeing the movie and mm-hmm. the, and I had seen Tangerine. So I, oh, I, wow, cool. I knew a little bit about, but I, I just was in the world immediately. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, I really like it. And I think again, what I liked was following the kid's perspective yeah. that I knew it was that the movie immediately was going to be from the kid's perspective. And that's why I was 
I it I was automatically yeah kind of in from the beginning. Whether that was the steady cam or the performances or everything. Yeah, we were always you, shooting you the did slow your angles. Job. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. That was always one of our you know missions and on the mandate. Yeah, like you said, it was like, oh, this is what kids do. They get into trouble and yeah. <laughs> knock things over. And they... you know, it made it tough for the writing too, because we were trying to figure out how to tell this story and have certain scenes play out where the kids weren't involved. So we kind of came up with that rule where as long as the kids can drift in a scene, it doesn't yeah. have to be every single scene 100% shot oh, like over their shoulder, let's say. So right. you have the scene with the Brazilians, yeah. which was one of the earliest ones we, we wrote many, many years ago. And we knew we wanted that uh, mix up there. And so that's why the kids kind of stroll into it and try yeah. to help and get tips and with the luggage. Um, we had a hard time with that because we thought we were going to have to remove the scene because we couldn't figure out how the kids played into it. Yeah. And I love, I keep saying you're going to move on to Tangerine, but the last thing I loved is when they're uh, trying to sell the perfume. Now, oh, yeah. Were you really, were you just, was that a hidden that's, camera? It is, yes. That's the total, it felt just like, like you know, going back to our role, because so we did a show called Greg the Bunny where we would do stuff like that a lot. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's just put, get the camera hidden, long lens. Make people buy horrible perfume. And then just have to run after them and sign the, the release after you shoot and explain the whole thing. That oh, my just God. Happened, you know? Did anyone get upset? They were like, nobody got upset. Yeah. You know, in Tangerine. What about when they're eating? Like, she goes to eat. It's another great scene. Oh, she goes no, that's to eat all, at the hotel. That's all uh, scripted and actors, uh, some, some background actors that we hired. Uh, but, yeah, with Tangerine. So at the end, in donut time, all those customers that you see come yeah. in are real customers, and we're shooting on iPhone, so they have no idea that they're... Oh and then God. we had to wait for the scene to play out. They buy their donuts. They leave the store. They're walking across, you know, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, and this, we're still rolling because there's stuff that has to play out in the scene with the actors. And then you're waiting. Come on, just yell cut, yell cut. Okay, boom, and everybody has to do a mad dash to get the releases signed. And that's like, I wish we had footage of that. Oh, my God. It's just such a ridiculous... Because we were only like a seven or eight person crew on that movie. So even Sean, you know, we're all just running after these people. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so let's go back to Tangerine, um, which was before this, which was interesting. I heard you say something about that Florida Project was five years of no's. Mm. But how quickly... And then you did Starlet. But then how did Tangerine come about? So... That's the thing. We were very we LA based. Yeah, we film. were shooting Starlet in 2011, and we thought Tan- uh, Florida Project would be the next. Yeah, we had that idea during the making of Florida Project, but it was going to be a bigger budget. We thought that so Starlet was two fifty thousand, mm-hmm. and you know that's a lot of money, but but not for a movie. You yeah. know, with, with <laughs> just the food alone. It's costs like a day. Yeah. yeah. So so um, we thought you know maybe we could jump up to Florida Project level. Uh, at that time, and it, nobody was having it. You know, you go in the pitch, and people's eyes are rolling. And you know, what else you got? What else you got? And uh, Sean had made a movie before Starlet called Prince of Broadway, mm-hmm. and uh, the Duplass brothers were fans. Oh, and so Mark had this offer to Sean, where if we had a, a micro budget idea that lent itself to like a hundred grand ish, mm-hmm. you know, come to him and let's talk. And so when we, you know, kept taking forever to get Florida Project off the ground, and so we always wanted to do a movie. You know, set against that backdrop. We lived a couple blocks from Donut Time. Yeah, so I pass it on my way. It's one of the places I take uh, class. Right, it's tree. Tr- Danny Trejo bought it now. And now it's, it's like Donut. once again, you have turned it into this popular That's destination. I've, I still haven't been though. Ever since he Danny took it over and made it Trejo's Donuts, so uh, I haven't been able to bring myself to check. I will check it out. It was though. so wonderfully sleazy. So, uh, so Perfect. again, yeah. we're I'm talking in code just for people who oh, yeah. don't know what Tangerine is about. Um, you know, it's about uh, two. You, you, you uh, set it up. Yeah, no, Cinderella uh, gets out of prison <laughs> and, on Christmas Eve, and she uh, decides she has to track down the pimp who broke her heart. At donut so, time. Yes. Yeah, she <laughs> makes the, mis- the mistake of uh, the number one rule, never fall in love with your pimp. Yes, and this she- area, which is Santa Monica and Highland, is kind of like a really interesting... Yeah. Trannyville, Un- like unofficial red light district back then. It's it's cleaned up now mu- is much it? more. Because I, I, like, I haven't seen activity lately. I see things all the <laughs> time. You're out and, there scouting. And, you? <laughs> well, and and on Romaine. Okay, which is one street over. Yeah, I was on Mansfield back when we were doing a show called 
we were at Hollywood Center Studios, so I would walk to work every day and uh, see the activity. Oh my God! Well, if anyone wants to go to Orange and Romaine, okay. that is like That's again the, hot, the, hot, the current hot anything between La Brea and Highland. Yeah. In that general area. But it wasn't so much even that. It was the fact that every time we would pass by, there was like major drama, fights breaking out, mm, you know. Wigs flying. Yeah, wigs. And so yeah. we just, we were attracted <laughs> to this and we're like, there's got to be something here. Interesting. And we just kind of took to the streets and Sean and I were, that's how we always start every film, just from like a journalistic approach. Yeah. Just to talk to people again in the backdrop where we're setting our story. Uh-huh. Not to sort of take anyone's story or. You know, just sort of like get inspired by what, you know, what their perspectives are on the activity. Uh-huh. And then that's when we ran into uh, Maya Taylor. at There's an LGBTQ center on McCadden. Yes. And she was just hanging out with her friends. And she was one of the only ones that was willing. Because I, I don't know. I think to this day people might have thought we were cops. Because like <laughs> these two white guys are like rolling around asking questions. And it was weird. And we were just like, why won't people talk to us? <laughs> we're trying to be so nice and respectful. And and uh, she did, greeted us with open arms, and and we just had a few lunches with her and dinners, and and then she's like, I got to introduce you to my roommate Kiki, who plays Cindy yeah. in the film, and because again, we were just looking for collaborators and sort right. of windows into the world, but we eat lunch with Maya and Kiki one day at the Jack in the Box mm-hmm. on uh, La Brea, <laughs> and it was just like. We, Sean and I were so entertained that our mouths hurt from laughing, you know, and they had yeah. such chemistry mm-hmm. that later that night we're like, well, you make the movie about, or center it around them somehow. That's and amazing. A big inspiration for the direction we took. How, how do you know to always have humor in your films? Like, you know, oh, sometimes yeah. the Mike Lee movies are can be, right. you know, you just feel like all of humanity on your shoulders and and again like yeah. you have real life situations kitchen sink but there's humor there well two-part answer i think we always gravitated toward that from our greg the bunny roots yeah and uh just from everything that we love you know um but also we never expected tangerine to be so much of a comedy considering the subject matter uh-huh and it was maya and kiki who were like look we want to be able to watch a movie with ourselves that we can laugh at Wow. And Sean, I remember, was like, okay, but we, you know, we don't want to, you know, be ex- exploiting any situations here. And, like, they were like, we'll tell you. We'll tell you if you're, you know, crossing that line. And they yeah. did, you know, every once in a while. And um, that's why it's so great to find collaborators like this because it kind of, it kind of uh, steers you in the right direction. When You know, because, again, we can be attacked for not being part of that world and yeah. do we have the right to tell that story and stuff. Mm-hmm. But for me, I always answer that, I don't even look at it that way when I write. I just treated it like it, this is a human. This is a girl with a broken heart, and, mm-hmm. and we've all had a broken heart. So if you approach it that way, just from a you know humanistic place that everybody can relate to, I right. think I think that's how it, we we go about it. And mm-hmm. It helps. So when you're deciding, to, were you the first? I thought. I mean, I'm saying, were you like the first? I yeah, mean, they say that, and it's like some people have gotten angry. We never claimed that. It, there was there were an, a couple of others. So they sold the movie. Yeah, and lots of dogs. They did it all on iPhones. But but uh, I guess we were the first with a major distribution. Mm-hmm. Magnolia Pictures uh, picking us up at Sundance. Yeah. I guess that that could be said. And the iPhone was just a budgetary thing. You know, we never yeah. wanted to do some sort of gimmicky thing. It's just because we had no money and. Right, we, we were out of favors up to that. You know, this is Sean's uh, Tangerine was his uh, fifth film, mm-hmm. fifth feature. So, you know, that's it. People weren't even taking the calls anymore. Like, could we borrow this or that? Can we? Can we yeah, use, yeah. Can we use your equipment? So, and when you're working on iPhones, do you do it using tripods, lights? Like, tell me yeah, how this technically works. Anybody can do it. It was uh, it was the iPhone 5s, just because that was the latest at the time. Uh huh. And then uh, Moondog Labs. Sean found a prototype company. They had a Kickstarter, and they had the anamorphic lens that just slips onto the iPhone because we still wanted it to be like 2.35 and yeah. as cinematic as we can get it. And so he um, reached out to them, and they were nice enough to lend us some prototypes mm-hmm. and uh, just a, a Steadicam. Um, it's called a Steadicam Smoothie, which is just for the lighter weight stuff, mm-hmm. uh, not not terribly expensive, and. Uh, yeah, and uh, and sound. Sound was actually done the old school way. Okay, we had an amazing guy named Iron Strauss that we've worked with for years from uh-huh. New York, and he's another mad genius. I mean, he like there's a scene in Starlet 
it's not too much of a spoiler, but we're at the uh, Adult uh, Exotica Expo. Okay. And we thought the whole thing would need to be ADR because you know how loud conventions can get. Yeah. But it was all perfect sound. I mean, he, I don't know how he does it. Um, and so, yeah, he would just uh, do wireless mics and mm-hmm. boom some scenes and we slated it. You know, just you, you have to have good sound. When people say you shoot on an iPhone, you can, but people always discredit how important the sound is. Oh, 50%. yeah. And if you have a, just the iPhone mic, it's going to sound so, you know, amateur, and you really have to focus on getting the sound right. Well, I'm glad you said that, because sometimes, like, I'll say that to people. And oh. They, yeah, they always, you know, they, I always say sound, yeah. I'm a big sound person. They don't uh, listen? No. I'm a, I go on every sound. They'll when, find out. Yeah. Find yeah, it's out. like having a rock in your shoe. It just gets irritating after a while if the sound's not oh, yeah. good. yeah. The uh, well, I always say when you're on set, the the only thing you don't want to hear is a producer saying, "I thought, I thought you said you were going to take care of that." Or, oh, yeah. You know, like one of those dreaded. Mm-hmm. Who took it? Who is in charge of? Who's supposed to take care of that? Well, yeah, we were all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, and like I said, we were all wearing a lot of hats for Tangerine. It's just like seven or, seven or eight of us. So that's why Shichang, who's one of the producers of Tangerine, plays Mama-san in the film. Yeah. And so she's really behind that counter, really serving donuts, taking real people's money. Meanwhile, she's working on, like, you know, getting all these contracts in order and doing all her producer duties at the same time. It was just madness. Um, so now with Florida, I feel like then the ta- you did Tangerine, then Florida Project, and then now it's, like, sort of overnight people know who you are. The, the, does it feel that way? Does it feel like... It still feels like an upward battle. Because, really? Yeah, you know, because these films, like I said, they're not Star Wars or Marvel. And God. And I feel like my biggest fear mm-hmm. is is that just like with what happens with actors, you know, you can get typecast mm-hmm. as, as a writer and think that, they, you know, this is all we can do, the small little no-budget indies, right. the edgy indies. And, and, you know, I do want to tell big, big stories and studio tentpole movies. And, yeah. you know, I think they can be done well and... And so, you know, that's what we're working on right now. And a huge tent pole. Yeah. Are there are there segments? Soderbergh of... got it right. I oh. think. You know, he he would do like one for them, one for him kind of thing and do the oceans movies and Do you listen to his commentaries? I'm obsessed oh, yeah, with his yeah. commentaries. Oh yeah. The Mike Nichols ones is are my personal favorite. I learn a lot from listening to Mike Nichols. He always says great he talks it's about something which I feel like again I'm going to keep referencing the Florida Project okay. <laughs> uh, has that thing he says the final thing is just like this magic of the emulsion which mm. you just don't know he goes you're shooting something and it seems like it works and then when you see it projected mm-hmm. for the first time he said something magic happens in the bath that's true yeah that you you know don't know is there and that, that's what I feel about the Florida Project it's in that and the odd little moments that you didn't think will, would work sometimes do. Yeah. Works both ways. Um, and while we were on set with the Florida Project, I don't know if I mentioned this when we talked about it, but, uh, you know, Sean and I are always rewriting, and that's why I love working with him. This is not just like, okay, we finish our shooting draft, and then they go shoot it. Right. This is, like, constantly evolving on set, constantly trying to get ideas from what the actors are doing, and it's very give and take. And at the end, when we were shooting that emotional scene with Brooklyn – it was scripted where Brooklyn was supposed to be going to uh, Jancy and saying, come on one last adventure with me. Mm. But it didn't feel right to have her taking the lead at that moment. She's mm-hmm. vulnerable, and this is the first time that her friend Jancy can be the hero. Mm-hmm. And so while we were shooting it, you know, I went to Sean and, and said, you know, what if we try it this way? Shoot two ways, you know, shoot two endings. And um, he's so confident that he knew right away, like, no, that's, that is the way to do it. Now, that's why I love working with him, but the ADs and the script supervisors, not so much, because they, they're like, come on now, what are we doing? What's this change? Aren't we supposed to? It throws a monkey wrench into things a little bit. I'll bet, which, me, which again, like you're when you're off camera and you have to have that confidence, anything stressful ever happened that freaks you out? Or I mean, again, when you're working in these situations, real life, like tangerine and in the donut place. I mean, you seem so calm. (laughs) Do you ever, for what freaks you out? We we love it. I mean, what, what (laughs) freaks me out is if, you know, we're just, there hasn't been enough time, uh, a lot of it. And you have to make those compromises and you wanted to, you know, get it a certain way and you just can't, and you have to Mm -hmm. just make those cuts. That's probably the only thing that gets me a little bummed out on set. 
Uh, so are you going to the Oscars? Are you going to go to the Oscars? I, I'm still waiting to hear. I think what? so. Because, well, we didn't get Best Picture, right? So now it's all just hanging and dangling, and I'm, like, waiting to... Wait a uh, minute, but you have an actor who's in... I know. I think so. I'm told just, you know, A24 is being awesome, and I'm just still waiting for the for yeah the, for the call. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, but... Uh, an honor, honor to be nominated, I guess. Is, you it's get to go just to all the amazing parties. because it creates this new dialogue and it puts it on people's radar that might have not heard about the Florida Project, just yeah. seeing the nominee lists and stuff. I know. It's amazing. Um, can you talk at all about stuff you're working on now? Oh, or? sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, we're, me and Sean still have, uh, we always have the idea vault, mm-hmm. just like Florida Project was in for those five years. And, and we're hoping to do this one uh, that we've been excited about for a long time it's a sort of an unconventional love story mm-hmm. and then uh and then i have the other stuff I, you know for the meetings i'm taking while sean is figuring his stuff out the bigger stuff the more mainstream stuff right that he might not be attracted to so would, i would love to do you know would you be attracted to television or do you prefer film yeah right now i'm I, there may be a, a deal for to write a pilot uh mm-hmm. for an idea that i had come up with and so we're just trying to figure that one out yeah so i'm i would love to i mean that's the thing is we we have these dreams coming true but listen i mean to be honest and i know this is probably like you know swallowing pride but we're we're living on credit cards because no (laughs) one's getting rich off these movies right and it's like writer's guild minimum so it's it's tricky it's like how could we keep going how could we just you know at least get enough to live between these projects it was interesting. Tamara pointed out that on your website you had a very similar philosophy to me, which is like it's all life's a movie anyway. So it's like oh. you just write it every day. That's like what I've always. I'm you know, like, that's from the Muppet movie. That's a quote from the end there. Uh, I don't even know that. I yeah. didn't know what it was. I I figured it was from something. Yeah, I just the great Paul Williams. Oh, yeah. I love Paul Williams. Again, it just gives me chills at the end of the Muppet movie when they're all singing that. Uh-oh. That's what I, I always think. It's it's all a movie anyway. You can always, you know. Yeah, yeah. Keep it, keeps, it keeps things interesting. And I wouldn't trade it at all because, you know, I have the friends who you see that you went to school with who have the normal jobs, the nine to five jobs. And they're happy. You know, they're doing their thing and they have families and they have houses and stability. Mm-hmm. But I just wouldn't want that. I want to make I want to tell stories no matter which way. We, well, we that is very interesting because how do you keep that'll probably that's gonna be my last question is mm. keeping that sensibility and Tamara was saying about me in the beginning like mm-hmm. you know she's she, like I never think I'm successful I'm just like yeah. trying to work and I relate to normal people and the same thing with you with success how do you keep the sensibility of telling smaller stories well, wait, I have to challenge you here. You, when you're in, you you know, there had to be a point where you're seeing you, yourself in, you know, the big screen and multiplexes. No, that's the book. I always 1991. Think, I always think, because that's what Mike Nichols said to me. He said, you, you're in the movie and you're out of the movie. Mm-hmm. He said, you're, I feel like you're in the audience and you somehow got in the movie hmm. and you're <laughs> communicating with the audience. Wow, it's like the last action hero. I think that was the plot of that Schwarzenegger yeah. movie. But um, I was like, that's, that's my whole act i said that's my act oh no no people loved you we all loved you well, i mean thank you. yeah so but you were, you were but, the, but that's what i mean i feel like that whole i i'm just excited to be in show business right i see yes yeah, so I, I guess you know as long as you have it in your heart right yeah you just keep going and that enthusiasm about telling film you know telling stories and again like not everybody would say i'm going to take the story about you know kids living in a motel hmm. in florida and turn it into something that's kind of fellini-esque and beautiful and magical and i love smaller stories too like yeah. you know some of the movies that i really liked this year another movie i really liked called Maudie, mm-hmm. which not a lot of people saw again is sort of a smaller story but sometimes i find them to be the most meaningful right that's why i have so much respect for sean you know i've worked with a lot of collaborators and you know like i said it there's a lot of reasons why it works but one of the things about him is he could have went off and probably made the marvel movies and yeah. you know he had the opportunities and mm-hmm. you know he had it in his heart to tell this story and you know that's a lot of people would just and and there's nothing wrong with that but i just think that it's really cool that you know we're motivated by you know these this this weird need that we just have to tell these stories no matter what even if it means sacrificing a big paycheck to tell it well what i like is the idea that it's telling the stories but you have a very specific 
uh, aesthetic. Hmm. And th- that's what I love. And so, you know, continued success in the... Oh. So now that you've been identified... You know, because sometimes you like a film, mm-hmm. but you, you don't... You can't identify... The, there's so many filmmakers, you can't identify yeah. them. And so now I can identify your <laughs> your work as it as it continues and progresses. Oh, yay. So thank you. All right. And thanks, thanks for you. coming. Thanks for having me. Come back anytime. Yeah. Look for Chris on Twitter and Instagram at Chris... Burgosh. C H R S B E R G O C H. Doesn't but sound like it's spelled. Uh, right. All, yeah. all pronunciation. Yes, you yes. do. <laughs> As I had some clever ones. I'll be looking for um, And go see the Florida Project. It's yes. available online now. Oh, yeah, as you well can watch as in it theaters. All the ways. Yeah. iTunes, uh, Amazon, the exactly. DVD and Blu rays next week. Yes. On the 20th. Yeah. Oh, so you God, have perfect. no excuse, people. You must see it. Perfect. Also, you can buy Ileana's book, I Blame Dennis Hopper, yes, in bookstores and on there Amazon. It it's a great you. read. You should buy it. Also, like our page on Facebook. Check out our website, ileanaspodcast.com. Yes. And as I always say, everyone's life is a movie with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And today's the end of our. Our little movie. Thanks so much for being here, Chris. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks, everybody. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.